Welcome to episode nine of Sludge, an American healthcare story, the podcast about how fucked up the healthcare system is in the United States. Simple as that. I'm Caitlin Durante, and unfortunately at this time I am not joined by my friend Sammy Junio because I am on my tour in Europe. I'm by myself at the moment. I'm in Rome right now having a lovely time. I have been making some risky choices with food, but what was I going to do? Not eat gelato? I don't think so. And I have felt some slight sludge pain, but I haven't had another attack, so fingers crossed it stays that way. So to recap what has happened so far... In case you haven't been listening or you've mentally blocked it all out for the sake of your own sanity because this story is so frustrating. Basically, I have sludge in my gallbladder. I've had to jump through hoop after hoop trying to get medical care, and it's led me pretty much nowhere. And this has been going on for months now. I do have an update. I got a call about four weeks after my consultation with the surgeon, Dr. X, to say that my surgery had been approved by my health insurance, which great that I got the approval, not great that it took four weeks for my insurance to decide that they will pay for the surgery that I medically need to live a normal, healthy life. How much they'll pay for, I'm not sure. Let's put a pin in that for now. So I get word that I had been approved four weeks after my consultation. But by then, I was already on my trip to Europe. And I wouldn't be back for about six weeks. The surgeon's office said that they didn't have Dr. X's availability that far in advance so that they would have to call me back in a couple weeks to schedule the surgery when they had Dr. X's availability. To my knowledge... They never called me back. To be fair, they might have tried, but because I'm traveling and I'm not always in areas with good service, maybe the call didn't go through. On the other hand, I did upgrade my phone plan so that I had service overseas, and I was receiving plenty of other calls, so I'm not totally sure if we can use that as an excuse, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they tried to call, but it didn't go through. So a few days ago, I go ahead and call them to schedule my surgery. After a few back and forths of figuring out when the surgeon was available and when the hospital had availability, my surgery gets set up for October 15th. So I fucking finally have a date scheduled for the surgery. Holy shit. I also have to set up a pre-op physical with my PCP within two weeks of my operation, so I set that up for October 2nd. Side note, there was this whole back-and-forth series of phone calls between me and my PCP's office regarding setting up that pre-op appointment. Basically, what happens is I call them and schedule the appointment. Then they received the surgery paperwork via fax from my surgeon, so someone else from my PCP's office calls me to schedule the pre-op appointment. I tell them it's already been scheduled, and they were like, oh yeah, okay, I see that here, great. So just make sure you bring your surgery paperwork with you. And I was like, you already have it. My surgeon faxed it to you. And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, I see that here. Okay, so you're all set. Bye. So just another example of people not being good at communication. (laughs) 
Okay, so today's date when I am recording this episode is September 15th, exactly one month before my surgery on October 15th. And October 15th is just a little over five months after my sludge attack, which happened on May 11th. Five months between my medical emergency and the operation that treats that emergency. Five fucking months. I can't think of any reason it should have taken that long aside from the healthcare system that I am operating within being an idiotic hellscape. (sighs) Okay, so let me get back to the topic of cost. The cost of healthcare isn't something I've touched on that much yet, mostly because for some reason, I have not received any medical bills for this whole sludge debacle. My trip to the ER, for example. I still have not received a bill from that. I don't know if it's because my insurance covered the whole visit, in which case, great. I doubt it, but I received no paperwork of any kind regarding that ER visit. If my insurance did cover it, again, I received no indication that they covered it. Usually, when I've incurred a medical expense, I receive something saying, here's how much your insurance paid, here's how much you owe. Even if what I owe is zero dollars, I still get a piece of paper about it. But I've received no such thing, which makes me think that the hospital is just behind on their billing or something. Because I've heard stories of people being like, Yeah, I gave birth to a child, and then four years later, I received a bill from the hospital for it for $5,000, or however much it costs to have a baby. So I have a feeling that I will get a bill for my ER visit eventually, just hasn't happened yet. I have had to pay a few co-pays along the way, one to get the ultrasound done, Uh, I've had to pay co-pays to see my PCP a couple times, but that's it so far. Dr. M, the horrible GI specialist, didn't even charge me anything because for some reason he felt it was a mistake that I was referred to him. So at least I didn't have to pay for that appointment. But embrace yourself for this. After a quick Google search, I learned that apparently in the US, the average cost of gallbladder removal surgery is $24,000. Yikes. Again, I'm not sure how much of that will be covered by my insurance. Because I'm on a crappy HMO plan, I know that I have a high deductible, which means that I have to pay quite a lot of money out of pocket before my insurance kicks in and starts covering anything. For example, if I have a $6,000 deductible, I have to pay $6,000 out of pocket, and then my insurance covers the rest. I think that's how that works. I don't know for sure because it's pretty confusing. And I think they deliberately make it confusing so that you cannot effectively advocate for yourself after getting astronomical medical bills. That's my theory. Now, I have no idea exactly what my deductible is. And when I tried to look it up, 
my health insurance won't let me access my account online at the moment because I'm overseas and they think I'm a hacker who is trying to scam on my account. So I don't know for sure right now. I'm pretty sure it's quite high. I think it's at least a few thousand dollars. Uh, I'll continue to investigate what my deductible is. That'll be a reveal for an episode down the line. This is all to say that I have a strong feeling that this surgery and all the related sludge treatment is going to end up being very expensive for me, but I'm sure it'll not be anywhere close to the amount that some people rack up in medical bills for certain illnesses, considering I've heard stories of people ending up with upwards of two or three hundred thousand dollars of medical debt, which is sickening. Now, let me take a moment to share a little story to put things into perspective a bit. I received a message from a listener named Emily, and here is her story. Emily says, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Today, I listened to the first episode of Sludge. I just wanted to write and share with you how horrified I am at what you've gone through. I knew the U.S. had problems with healthcare, but I hadn't heard an individual perspective before. I had gallstones, and it was truly the most fucked up pain I've ever felt, so I do understand. I also work as an ER nurse here in Australia, and while I see lots of limitations in our system, they pale in comparison to what's happening over there in the U.S. We have free healthcare for all here, paid for with taxes that, oh my god, do not cripple us taxpayers, but actually works as an efficient, sustainable system. I had an attack of gallstones a few years ago, went to my local public ER. I had intravenous morphine within probably 20 minutes to relieve the agony. I had an ultrasound that same day to find the stones and had my gallbladder out the next day. The whole time my pain was kept under control. I was constantly updated regarding what was happening. And on discharge, I had painkillers, clear instructions, and an appointment already booked with a surgeon in the next few weeks to follow up and make sure all was well. Basically, I could not have asked for better care. And I didn't pay out of pocket for anything. I don't know about the differences in how ERs are run or staff are trained in the U.S., but had you presented to the ER I've worked in, severe pain like that is treated as urgent aiming for strong pain relief within half an hour. The attitude of the staff who treated you was appalling. I've rarely had to work with anyone who would treat a patient in pain like that. You would have had either an ultrasound or CAT scan that same day, blood test done in the meantime, and if gallstones were confirmed, you'd be in surgery within 24 hours. Simple as that. I guess I'm just horrified to hear how you were treated in the ER. As an ER nurse, I'd say it is my passion and high priority to manage pain because I have been there myself and I have unfortunately sometimes seen patients suffering and not given proper pain relief. And those patients are almost always women. Even here, where it seems our healthcare system is superior, I see many doctors and nurses, sometimes even subconsciously, undertreat pain in women. Women are so much more likely to be accused of drug-seeking. I'm sure this stems from the stereotype of women being manipulative and untrustworthy, or of just being dramatic and catastrophizing. 
which is utter bullshit and something I am constantly working against. And women who don't speak English have it even worse. I have yet to listen to the other episodes, but I wonder whether you will talk about the concept of medical sexism, which is alive and well, where women are assumed to be dramatic, hysterical, quote, just experiencing anxiety, drug-seeking, or psychosomatic. Lots of studies show that globally, women wait longer for pain relief in all healthcare settings, and even chronic pain is undertreated more so for women. So that was Emily's experience. Thank you so much, Emily, for sharing that experience, both as a fellow former gallstone slash sludge haver and as someone who works as a healthcare professional. Now, a few things I want to address from Emily's message. First, the way she describes her experience of going to the ER and having her pain managed right away, having the ultrasound done right then and there in the hospital, and having the surgery the following day, oh my god, what a dream. It can be easy. It's just not for me. I mean, refer back to earlier in this episode where we learn that it'll be over five months between my sludge attack and the surgery that I'll have. I'm just very jealous. Okay, Uh, the second thing I want to address, Emily talks about being appalled at the way the ER staff treated me. So many frustrating things have happened since my ER visit, and it was so long ago now that I often forget about it, or I barely include it when I'm cataloging all the bullshit hoops I've had to jump through, but it all started with my horrible trip to the ER. I've said in earlier episodes how it would have been nice if they had done the ultrasound when I was at the ER, and then they could have helped schedule me for surgery right then, and I spoke about all this as if it was fantasy, like I almost felt silly for wishing for such a simple resolution, because I'm realizing more and more that I have been utterly gaslit by the American healthcare system. This system has made me feel like I'm just so unimportant, like my situation doesn't really matter and is certainly not urgent, that because I'm not a millionaire, I don't deserve the swift and attentive health care that millionaires get, that I just need to shut up and wait my fucking turn for medical care, even if that means waiting for months and months and months. That's how this system makes me feel. And that's how it makes many, many other people feel. Because it's not enough that I'm going through a medical issue and all of the misery and stress associated with it. It's not enough that so many people out there are in pain and sick and maybe dying. This system in the U.S. forces people to experience another level of trauma by making access to care extremely difficult. It's like if someone, heaven forbid, lost all of their limbs in an accident and was in urgent need of medical attention, and Mr. Healthcare comes along and says, oh, we're sorry you lost all your limbs, and we can help you. You just have to get to the hospital first. But you have to get there by yourself. You can't ride in a vehicle or a wheelchair or use any sort of assistive device. No one is allowed to carry you or help you in any way, and the hospital is 10 miles away through extremely rough terrain. Good luck. Like, that's what this system is. It adds another layer of stress and trauma onto the pain you're already experiencing with whatever medical issue you are dealing with. 
It's horrifying. It's the worst possible way it could be handled. (sighs) Okay. The third thing that I want to address from Emily's message was her question of whether I've talked about medical sexism, which up to this point I've only briefly touched on, but I want to take this opportunity to announce that once my sludge story has reached its resolution, which will hopefully be October 15th, but if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that Murphy's Law is fully in effect here and that everything that can go wrong will. So who knows, my surgery will probably get rescheduled or something will probably happen to prevent me from getting this resolution on October 15th. Who knows? Anyway, once my story is resolved, I plan on releasing episodes of this sludge podcast where I talk to other people with similar medical nightmare stories. In these episodes, I expect a common theme will emerge regarding the bias and discrimination certain people face when trying to get access to medical care. For example, I've started gathering stories about women's pain not being believed or treated, about women being slut-shamed for trying to get birth control, or have an abortion, about plus-size people being fat-shamed by healthcare professionals, about trans people struggling to get access to the care they need to start transitioning, all these different stories of that nature that show this inherent and pervasive bias in medicine. So stay tuned, because I'm about to blow this fucking shit wide open. So for more news and updates, please follow the podcast on Twitter. And I set up an Instagram as well. Uh, Both are at sludge podcast. You can email me at sludge story podcast at gmail.com. Maybe if you have any medical nightmare stories that you would like to share with me, um, who knows, maybe I'll, I'll release, you know, mini episodes where I'm sharing people's stories from all over. I mean, the possibilities are endless with Sludge Podcast. So again, follow the podcast on social media because I'll be posting updates there. Uh, You can follow me personally on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Caitlin Durante. Um, Even though Sammy isn't here, big thanks to Sammy. Um, Thanks to Emily again for sharing her story. Thanks to everyone who's been listening and going on this journey with me. I wish it wasn't such a frustrating, painful story to share, but this is the reality of the situation and this system that hopefully will be dismantled soon. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. More updates to come. My surgery is, at the time of this recording, in the future. Hasn't happened yet. I, again, still have sludge in my body, but for now, I'm going to go outside and... Uh, look at Rome and, you know, look at pizza, but not be able to eat it. All right. Sludge life. Bye.